All right, good morning again. It's great to be back with you. I want to thank Stephen Watson, our assistant pastor, for preaching a couple weeks ago, and Kyle Black, our intern, preaching last week. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was with the bad people in Temple, so I appreciate you guys praying for me there. Uh, I, I grew up in Temple, so I like to tease them, because sometimes Temple people make fun of Colleen people. I don't know if you knew that, so I try to give it back to them, right? Okay, so I'm here now, but got to go back to the church that sent this church out. It's called Temple Bible Church over there. Um, it's a lot like our church, but, um, but they put like 10,000 people in one room. That's the only major difference. And so that was fun. Got to preach uh, to them a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, got to have the week off just to kind of receive God's word here. We've been going through this series in Ephesians. And so that's where we kind of finished last week with Kyle. We're going to pick Ephesians back up in the new year. So don't worry if you want to see the exciting conclusion of Ephesians. It's coming in January. But today we're going to be in Romans 15 as we look at Christmas themes, okay? We're following these themes of Advent. This week we're going to look at hope. And so the theme this week is hope. In Romans 15, Paul talks about what that hope looks like, how that hope busts out in our life. Uh, And so we're going to read uh, from Romans 15 and try to uh, understand what a difference hope makes in our daily lives. And what I want us to remember is that the Old Testament people of God were people like us who lived in a broken world like we live in. They, they had friends and family die. They got sick. They had broken relationships. They ran out of money. They had an unsure future. And they placed their hope in this coming son that was to be born. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time, the sure hope that we have in Jesus. We're not denying the brokenness and the craziness and the darkness that we live in now. Uh, one of the great symbols of Christmas time is that light comes into the world in the midst of the, the darkness of midwinter, right? So we can't really, in central Texas, understand the symbolism of the cold, right? Because it's 80 degrees outside. But we can get the darkness part, you know, because we get pretty used to the sunshine. This is a sunshine place, but in, in the winter, uh, there's less. There's less sunshine. It's darker. It gets dark faster and, and Part of the symbolism of of Jesus coming, his advent, his arrival, his birth, is that this is light breaking into a dark place. We live in a dark world, and light breaks in through Jesus. So let's read about this in Romans 15. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some black Bibles under the chairs. We're on page 949. If you want to flip to page 949, you could follow along there. We're going to be at the very bottom of that page and then flip over to the next page. Uh, Romans 15, starting in verse 12. He says, again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. I want to just stop and explain that one verse, and then I'll let us read the rest of it. But here, it's talking about the root of Jesse. It's talking about this uh, branch, this root, this growth out of Jesse, who's the father of David. And so what he's talking about is that Jesus was this coming son of David, this greater king that was to come through the line of King David. So when it refers to Jesse, basically whenever you look in the Old Testament, it says something about Jesse, it's talking really about King David because Jesse was David's father. So it's talking about this line of people, this tribe of people, this family through which Jesus would be born. And it says he'll rise up and rule the Gentiles. And Gentiles is this word that uh, we use to, to signify all the other nations that aren't the Jews. Basically, everybody that's not God's chosen people, God's plan all along was to include all those other nations. He was using his chosen people to reach all the nations. So it says, this root of Jesse will come. He'll rise up to rule the Gentiles, and him 
will those nations hope? In him will those Gentiles hope? So picking up again in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of the God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I fulfill the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would teach us. We thank you that you are including us in what you're doing in the world. But we're evidence of, of this promise here, that those who haven't heard will hear, and those who haven't seen will see, and we're, we're a part of that as your gospel is spreading all over the world. God, help us to be a part of your authentic work, that we wouldn't just be playing a game as members of a certain culture, but that we would be a people who are being supernaturally transformed by the hope that we have in Jesus. And that as that changes us, that we would love other people, that we would make a difference in our community, that we would uh, love our families well, that we would do our jobs with excellence, and that we would bring glory to you, and that we would be a part of bringing light Uh, into the darkness, that we would be a part of your hope in the world. Thank you for including us in your your work, God, and we pray that you'd help us to hear and to learn and to be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we uh, have followed along, I I mentioned earlier, we're giving away a a devotional uh, outside. If you want to grab one of those to kind of follow along these Christmas themes, this week we've been looking at the Old Testament promises that this hope is coming. And so I just want to kind of reiterate some of those for you, give you like a big bird's eye view of of the story of the Bible. Way back in the beginning, sin comes in, brokenness comes in, and we worked this into some of the readings we did earlier, and there's the curse, and there's this, this death and this brokenness that results from Adam and Eve, in the same way we do it now today, saying, we don't want to serve you, God, we want to be our own gods. We believe that life will be fuller and richer and better if we do what we want instead of listening to you, God. And so as that happened, then death entered in, and we replay that in our own lives still today. And God makes this promise, and he says, Eve, someday you're going to have a kid that's going to defeat evil. You're going to have a son that's going to crush the serpent's head. And if you've read the rest of Genesis, you know then chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, It's just failure, 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 failure. Eve's sons are are not getting it done. And we're part of that still today. We still fail. We still follow in those same footsteps. But there's this promise. There's this hope that someday a man's going to come and he's going to defeat evil once and for all. Well, that promise is clarified in Genesis 12 when this guy Abraham shows up in the story. And God comes to Abraham and says, it's going to be through your family. This promised son of Eve, it's going to come through your family. You're going to have a son even though you're 100 years old and you're impotent, he says, you're going to have a son. 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to be miraculous. It's going to be something that only God can do. And through your son, all the nations of the world will be blessed. The world will be transformed, Abraham, through what I'm going to do through you. And it's not going to be because you're so impressive, it's going to be to show how impressive God is. That's clarified then even more with the people of God when they're slaves in Egypt. They're slaves under the power of the greatest empire the world had ever known. They're held under the thumb of the Pharaoh. And God says, I'm going to save you out of slavery and I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to give you laws. I'm going to give you land. You're going to actually be a nation and the world's going to be blessed through this nation. It's a continued revealing of this promise that God first made to Eve back in Genesis 3.15. It's clarified even more with King David. King David is the king and, and God says... I'm going to give you a son that's going to be the real king. He's going to be the ultimate king, this root of Jesse, this branch of Jesse, this son of David, this greater king is going to come. He's going to solve everything once and for all. So the Old Testament people are a people like us who hear these promises from God and say, okay, God says he's going to solve everything, but I'm still living in the here and now where things are still broken. Where when I turn on the news, I just see death and mayhem and destruction, things not going the way they're supposed to be, but God tells me, that he's fixing it. And we see that most clearly in the birth, in the advent of Jesus, in his death, in his resurrection. We see most clearly that God is not uninvolved, but he's breaking in to this world of, of pain and brokenness and death that we live in. He's broken in and he says, I'm going to solve this. And so we now, like the Old Testament people, still live in hope that God's going to finish what he started through Jesus. That's what we're looking forward to. We don't have to be a dishonest people that just say everything's fine, everything's all, all better. No, we, we're still hoping, we're still looking forward to the sureness and the finality of the hope that we have in Jesus. And so when we look at this in Romans 15, Paul's going to give us some, some glimpses into how that actually changes us. How do we live in light of hope on a day-to-day basis? And the first thing that I think is important is that hope is supernatural. And so when I say it's supernatural, that means it's not natural, Right? Hope is not something that just wells up from within me naturally because I live in the real world where I'm decaying, where I fail, where, where life is, is falling apart. So I know that there needs to be some answer from the outside. And God says that answer is this, this God of hope. It says in verse 13, 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. It's, it's coming from the outside. He says, first of all, it's, it's the God of hope, right? It's not you, these strong people of hope, these impressive people. No, it's the God of hope. May he fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that's part of the work that we have to do is to actually trust God, to trust that he's good, to trust that he is making all things right, to trust that he is who he says he is, to trust that he's the God that he's revealed himself as through Jesus, who's both holy and can't tolerate sin, but gracious and took away the punishment of sin through the cross. And so that's our work to believe that. And then he says, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So it's, it's the Holy Spirit that has to come in and give us the power to do this. But we can't do it on our own power. We can't do it naturally. We need this supernatural power to come in. We have to be connected to him. We have to be believing him, trusting him, being filled with his spirit, living in line with the spirit, not living in line with our flesh. Because a lot of days we, we can get the job done with our own flesh, right? A lot of days we're strong enough. We can, we can accomplish it. We can get what we need to, to 
do, we can get it done, we can work through our checklist. But when we're honest, we recognize it's, it's still not enough. And we need the external power of the Holy Spirit to come and to fill us, to enable us to believe, to enable us to live in trust, to enable us to depend on God and what he's doing in the world. And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Have you all ever had uh, something that's very important to you lose power? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, we, there, there's a whole TV show based on that now, right? What if, what if we all lost power, right? And the world would all fall apart. It, it kind of happens, right? I mean, in our daily life, like, you know, sometimes when there's a power outage and your, your fridge breaks, um, most of us didn't grow up without a fridge, you know? Like, we don't really know how to live if the fridge isn't working. Refrigerator, right? Y'all know what I'm saying. If your refrigerator's not working, if it's broken, what, what do you do? I mean, what do, you, do you throw away some things? Do you just hold tight and hang on? You know, there's always this confusion when that happens, when we have a major power outage, or even just something daily like your phone, right? Anybody ever had a phone that just dies? And you're thinking, how can I function? I don't, I don't know what to do. I can't, I can't make my calls. I can't do my business. And, and so we have these, these things that we work with daily, we rely on, and all of a sudden it's broken. Your car just dies. You know, you've got this new car. It's running great. And all of a sudden it dies. It just doesn't work. And it, it throws your whole life into a tailspin. There's a picture here of uh, some dark streets in Boston. Just a few days ago, Thursday, Boston had a huge power outage. So Boston's a huge city. And it's, it becomes all of a sudden eerie and dark. And things aren't working right. What, what the scripture says is that, that our life is eerie and dark, and disconnected, and not functioning right unless we have the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Unless we're connected to the power of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural hope, not our natural strength, not who we are, not what we can do. We need this power for us to function properly. We're going to come to an end of ourselves. I mean, we can be nice. We can do good things. We can, you know, we can, we can take it so far, but all of us at the core, all of us have a heart problem. We can't fully be who God has made us to be apart from the supernatural power, apart from the grace that he shows us in Jesus Christ. And so I think an important way to uh, respond to this is to say, how, how, can I, how can I receive that power? What's a way that I can posture myself to receive the supernatural hope of Jesus? And traditionally, Christian people would say there's this concept called the means of grace. Have y'all ever heard of this, this concept, the means of grace? And basically, that, that's just a way of saying there, there are ways that God gives grace to people, right? There, there are means, there's conduits of his grace, and, and they're like uh, showers that you would sit under, right? Fountains that you would place yourself in to receive God's grace. So my question for us is, are you recognizing that your natural strength is not enough and you need a supernatural hope to come in from the outside? And in recognizing that, then are you posturing yourself under God's grace? Are you saying, God, give your grace to me. One of, one of the keys is, is the word, right? I mean, we, we gather as believers to hear the word proclaimed, uh, to sing the word, to pray the word. We encourage believers to read God's word in their daily life. And that's a way that you can posture yourself and say, in my own natural strength, I'm not smart enough to figure life out, but God, I want to receive from you. I want you to tell me how life is supposed to be. So I want to posture myself under your word, God. I want to go to it and, and understand who you are understand what you say about me. And so just reading the Bible or hearing the word taught or involving yourself in some kind of Bible study or class is a way to posture yourself under that means of grace to receive a supernatural hope instead of just relying 
and hoping in your own natural strength and, and know-how and knowledge and direction. Begin receiving direction from God. Christmas is a great time to do this. As I was saying earlier, we have these devotionals so that we can help you get in the habit of, of reading the Bible. Christmas is a great time to do it. It's kind of a, a different time of year. You can, you can kind of jump in and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this thing. I'm going to try reading the Bible every day or, or once a week we'll read that kind of devotional reading on, on Sunday night or Saturday night or whatever it may be to, to begin getting yourself in that habit of posturing yourself under God's word in a, in a daily way, in a weekly way in your own home. I encourage you to take advantage of that. There's other things, of course, historically the church talks about just fellowship with other Christians. You know, we talk a lot about community. Um, fellowship is, is one of the biblical words for that. Fellowship literally means like a partnering, like you're locking arms with someone. It's a business partnership. It's, it's rowing in the same direction. Um, if you come from a church background, you probably think of fellowship as, as uh, fried chicken and ice cream. And I think that helps, right? So if you get together with other Christians, have food. It helps, you know, to make that work. But it also essentially means you're on, you're on mission, you're, you're rowing in the same direction, you're, you're helping each other out. So that's what we talk about when we say gather with other people, pray for each other, help each other live the life that you think God has called you to live. That, that's what Christian community or fellowship looks like. That's another means of grace. Today we're going to celebrate communion where we uh, bodily take in this, this visible symbol of the gospel saying Jesus is our hope, he's our food, he's our drink. There are things like this that God says, you'll receive grace, you'll understand better who I am, you'll grow in your knowledge of me and, and my gospel and my grace and my supernatural hope for you as you posture yourself under these things. Uh, many others as well, but I encourage you to posture yourself before God and say, God, help me to grow in this hope that you have for me so I can abound in this hope supernaturally. Next thing I want us to see is that hope transforms us. It makes real change in our life. Things, things begin to happen in us, and we see this in verse 14. 15.14 says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. I was admitting to the earlier service that I'm a cynical enough person that when I first read this this week, I thought Paul was being sarcastic. And I don't know if, if you're like me, but it, it just it almost sounded too good. But I think he's, I think he's really honest. He's saying, genuinely, I, I see good things in your life. I genuinely see goodness happening in your life. You're actually able to instruct. I see teaching. You're instructing one another. We would see this, uh, we'd call this discipleship, right? People are growing as disciples, as followers of Christ. They're growing in faith. They're beginning to listen to what God says and, and live in good ways, right? Instead of our pagan ways, we're putting that behind us, and we're living in new ways in righteousness. We're beginning to take on what God tells us to do and listen to it and apply it in our life. We're able to instruct one another, teach one another, we call this discipleship, growing as disciples of Christ. And in verse 15, though, he adds a very, very important piece to this process that we call discipleship. In verse 15, he says, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. So Paul wants to add to this process, it's good that you're growing, it's good that you're teaching each other, but don't forget the gospel. Matter of fact, Paul says, I'm going to write my longest and chunkiest letter to you all about the gospel, even though you already know the gospel. And that's a really important thing for us to understand. For those of us that are Christians that say, my hope is in Christ already, we need to be reminded of the gospel. Paul's just devoted 15 chapters to that. This is the gospel. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's accomplished for us. This is how he's brought us back to God. This is how he is our true hope. And these other things can't be our hope, but Jesus is. He devotes all this time and all this energy and all this muscle to this and he's saying that's important for those of us that already know the gospel to be reminded of the gospel 
And that's a part of that discipleship process. If you want to be a follower of Christ, it's not like you walk in the door of the gospel and then say, see a gospel, it's all, it's all me now. I'm going to study, I'm going to work, I'm going to grow by all the things I can accomplish. No, you have to continually be reminded of the gospel, the good news that I can't bring myself to God, but God has done the work for me. He's put my sins on Jesus and he's given me Jesus's complete righteousness. So on my good days and my bad days, no matter how good I've performed, no matter how poorly I've performed, I stand before God, loved, accepted, and adopted, completely secure. And so I want to do what's right because I know my father loves me, not so that I can impress my father. I want to do what's right because I trust him, because he's my hope. And so we have to continually be reminded of that in this process so then we can grow in goodness and grow in the ability to instruct one another as we're being reminded of the gospel, as Paul says. And so he says, I've written boldly to remind you of this in verse 16 because of the grace given to me in verse 16 to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, now this is now importing this priestly, tabernacle, religious language in here. And Paul's saying that's all fulfilled through the gospel saying, I have this priestly job now. I'm a priest, and my work is reminding you of the gospel. That's the sacrifice. Remember in the Old Testament, they had all these rituals. They had to wear special outfits. They had to cleanse the animals in certain ways. And all of that care and all of that specificity and particularity and and perfectionism had to all be fulfilled in the gospel. All that perfection that showed us that we were unclean, that we needed to sacrifice, it's all fulfilled in the gospel. Paul says, I have this priestly service through the gospel that that you are now in the presence of God. That there's no other sacrifice that needs to be made, but Jesus is enough. And he says that is what makes us acceptable. So, So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We have to be acceptable. If if you are in the military, I understand that you have to wear certain regulated clothing, right? I've noticed a lot of guys wear green or they wear tan, right? You have these outfits you have to wear. Um, sorry, I said outfit. I said it in the morning service, and I didn't, I didn't mean to say it again. Uniforms, right? And so that, that you're approved based on having the right uniform. Um, I, I'm coaching basketball. I have a picture here of some shorts, right? So black shorts, you can't tell from the picture of this very important difference in basketball shorts that will let you play the game or will eject you from the game. Any of you know that? Any of you done youth sports? Um, if you have pockets, you're out. If you don't have pockets, so mom and dad, if you're putting your kids in boys club this year, sew up the pockets, okay? Because the ref, if they're strict, sometimes they don't care. But if, if the ref is strict and attentive to the rules, he'll say, you're out. You're not acceptable. You're, you're not acceptable. You, you can't play. You can't be a part of what we're doing here because you don't have the right uniform. The, there's apparently a lot of thumb injuries that happen, like kids get their fingers ripped off or something in pockets. So, so be very careful, okay? Um, and so there's this concept that you have to have the right clothing, you have to have the right uniform to, to be acceptable, to fit the regulation. And Paul makes this reference back to all the priestly regulations. We know the priests had to wear certain clothing. We know they had to make certain kind of sacrifices. And Paul is saying, again, he's reiterating, I've reminded you of the gospel that your uniform... You're, you're being acceptable, you're being approved, your, your entrance, your, your, sec, your security badge to get in the door, to be in the presence of God, it's Jesus. 
That's your uniform. That's what makes you acceptable. That's what makes your offering okay. That's what invites the nations in is, is Jesus, what he's accomplished. Not your own strength, not your natural abilities, but Jesus, this God who's accomplished it for you, who's come in from the outside and given himself for you, this Jesus who took our sins upon himself and gives us his perfect righteousness. That's what makes us acceptable. That's what makes the nations acceptable. That's what brings the nations into the presence of God. And, and Paul is saying, that's my priestly service. The sacrifice I'm making is inviting people to rest in the sacrifice of Christ so they can come before God, so they can have the right clothes on. As we study Ephesians again in the new year, we'll come back to this concept. In the end of Ephesians, it talks about uh, putting on the armor of God. If you all remember that passage, it's kind of a famous passage, and really all the pieces of the armor of God are what Jesus has accomplished for us. His righteousness, his goodness, his perfection, the salvation we have in him. That's what we put on daily. That's how we suit up for life. So if you want to be transforming, if you want to be changing, if you want to be growing into the human that God has made you to be, you're going to have to go through this daily ritual of being reminded of the gospel and picking that back up and putting it on. Every day, suiting up in the gospel. Colossians says the same thing. It says we are clothed in Christ. We put on Christ. We put off the old man. We put on Christ. It's a daily decision that you have to make. And so as we think about this process of discipleship, what it looks like in your daily life, it looks like goodness, right? Paul referenced that earlier. He says, I see goodness in your life. I see maturity. You're, you're starting to do good things, right? But before the gospel came to you, you were, you were sleeping around. You were cheating. You, you know, you had uh, 20 different partners. Now you're faithful. Now you're trying to love your spouse. You're trying to love your kids. He's saying, I, I see this process of change in your life. I see goodness happening. You're, you're beginning to align yourself with God's law. I see you having the ability now to instruct one another, to start teaching one another about what God says and what the scriptures say, but I've got to remind you of the gospel to make you acceptable because that's ultimately what's going to transform you. That's what you have to keep putting back on. So I want to really encourage you guys. I was talking to one of our elders the other day where we in the church see people living in real community with each other. And what I mean by that is that you're actually practicing James 5, 18, where he says, confess to one another your sins and pray for one another so you may be healed. We see people living like that in real knowledge of each other, being honest, helping each other, reminding each other to put on the gospel, not to trust in the bank account, not to trust in the job, not to trust in the reputation, not to trust in one more relationship that's not going to fulfill you like you think it will, but to trust in Jesus. As you get in real relationships, one or two or three, where you're actually sharing real life together, praying for each other, reminding each other of gospel, putting on the gospel as, as your uniform. That's where we see growth taking place. When we look out over the church, we can't say this program's good, that program's bad. When we try to you know, do metrics and say, hey, how are we doing as a church? That's, that's that kind of bottom line principle. We see people reminding each other of the gospel in, in real relationships. So I would, I would press on you and challenge you and, and just plead with you to, to get into those kinds of relationships. We have all kinds of front doors for you. We have ministries, this ministry and that ministry, but those are, those are gateways and ultimately it's on you. Ultimately, you have to decide, I'm going to be honest with people. I'm going to start living in community with other Christians. And that can be in a small group that's in one of our brochures, or it can just be with a couple other Christians. It doesn't have to be on our books. It doesn't have to be a program we're offering. But I would plead with you to get in that kind of relationship with someone else so that you can grow, so that you can begin to be transformed by this hope 
so that hope is not just a doorway you walked through when you were 15 and said, yeah, I know Jesus is my Savior, but you haven't really lived that out, that you would begin to live that out. You'd begin applying that in, in daily ways, in new ways to your life every week, every day. That's my prayer for us as a church. The, the last thing I want us to look at is that hope then drives global outreach. Hope is going to spill over. Uh, we're going to begin to be transformed as we get in this kind of relationships with other people, these kind of honest relationships, prayer relationships, uh, gospel-reminding relationships. It's going to then roll over to other people, right? We kind of, Colleen is, is great because it is a mix of a lot of cultures, but you know, we kind of have a somewhat homogenous culture as, as Americans, but it's going to begin to bleed over to others. And you always see Paul driving to take this all over the world. Uh, look at verse 17. Paul says, In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Whenever the word pride or boasting is used with Paul, it's always in Christ Jesus, okay? It's never in Paul, it's in Christ Jesus. So he says, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud for my work for God. Verse 18, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So he's making kind of a geographical reference here. He's saying from Jerusalem all the way to these Greek cities, all around, right around the known world, it's, it's spreading. And I'm purposefully spreading it, right? The, the point before we might call or, organic growth, right? Whereas we as individuals are reminded of the gospel, instruct one another, it's relational discipleship. But there's also this purposeful strategic growth where Paul says, I'm going to purpose to take it to the next town and to the next tribe and to the next nation. I'm not just going to keep it in this city. And we're a part of that as well. He says in verse 20, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is a reference back to Isaiah 52, another prophecy that this day will come where the Jews, this one people that God has chosen, will impact the whole world. We're a part of that because most of us are not Jewish. Most of us are a part of one of these other tribes. And God calls on us now as maybe racially from different tribes, but nation-wise, we're Americans. He calls on us to reach other tribes as well, other nations, other people groups, other subcultures in our nation and other nations outside of our nation. And so to align ourselves with this, our, our church has said, we're going we're gonna to take 10% of our general offerings and we're going to push that out towards global outreach. We use the global outreach term, just so you know, because in a lot of countries, when you say missionary, uh, they, they imagine a uh, person with a helmet and a sword, right? And so just to be sensitive, uh, really our missionaries have asked us, or excuse me, our global outreachers have asked us to, you know, to use different language because that's offensive language. And, and that's okay, we can throw away the word temporarily if need be, because it's not really a Bible word anyway. I mean, these are all ways we're trying to sum up what Paul was doing. Paul says preaching the gospel or hasn't been preached yet, and that's kind of long, so we're just going to say global outreach, okay? We're trying to reach the whole globe. We're trying to reach all the nations. We have this map picture here. This gives you kind of a breakdown of uh, different religions across the world, and so what we've done as a church is we've prioritized financially saying 10% is going to go out of our church, to reach other nations, right? 
And of that portion, we're going to actually prioritize that most of that 10% is going to go to what we call statistically unreached people groups. And what that means basically is that there are countries where there are, say, 20 million people in the country and 20 Christians. Well, we would call that a statistically unreached people group. It might be technically reached because there's 20 Christians there, but statistically it's unreached, right? There's uh, statistically no gospel witness for most of the people in that country. And so we give the, the majority of our money towards those kinds of places because we're wanting to do what Paul is saying here. We're wanting to preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached. We're wanting to be a part of the fulfillment of this hope going to the whole world because we actually believe it, right? If, it's, if this is our hope, it's everybody else's hope too. This is the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. So when we have this festival at Christmas time, we don't just do it because it's fun, right? I mean, that's a part of it. It is fun. But we celebrate Jesus because we believe Jesus is the hope of the world. That's why we put up lights. That's why we sing songs. That's why we eat great food. I wish we did that all year long, right? As Americans, we kind of do, I guess, really. Um, But we do these things to to prioritize what Paul prioritizes and what the God of the Old Testament that says, my plan was always to, to reach these people to reach all people. That was always his plan. You read through Isaiah, that was always his plan, to reach the nations, to reach the Gentiles. It was always beyond his people to all the other peoples. He wanted all of the peoples of the world. He wanted every tongue and tribe. So I, I just want to think of us, by way of application, for us personally, there's natural... Um, there's organic growth, right? We, we trust in the hope that we have in Jesus, and it's just going to organically spill out around us, right? Conversations are going to come up. Things are going to happen. But we also want to strategically prepare you to be better equipped to explain the hope that you have in Jesus, right? Like it talks about a, in Peter, be, be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. So we're praying about ways to do that in the new year, ways to equip you and put tools in your hands so you can better explain and articulate the hope that we have in Jesus, the hope that this Jesus took our sins and gave us his perfect righteousness. And he's, he solved everything for us. So we want to help you articulate that yourself. We want to encourage you to do things like just strategically in, inviting people to come hear the word at church. We're probably going to do a series in, in the new year after we finish Ephesians that focuses on helping people understand how Jesus is the answer, even with the common objections that, that most of us hear day to day and most of us worry about ourselves. And then also we want to encourage you to be involved in our global outreach process as well. Pray for those that, are, that we are partners with. Um, we've got people here on furlough like the Vanderwerfs who are here just for a little while longer and the Leesons who are here for several more months. Pray for them, befriend them, get to know them. Pray for the committee that, that uh, directs those funds and, and is interceding for those guys that we partner with all, all over the world. Consider the Guatemala trip that we have coming up on spring break. Consider maybe partnering with that. Consider uh, going with us as we do another camp in Berlin. Consider these opportunities of being strategic about reaching the globe with the hope that we have. Well, to conclude today, we're going to celebrate communion together, which is a way that bodily we say as God's people, Jesus is our hope. And so I want to encourage you, if you know Jesus as your hope, if you believe in him, if you trust him to be your hope, then participate with us. If you don't know Jesus to be your hope, we'd encourage you not to participate with us because this is a family ceremony. This is a way of renewing the covenant that we have with him, that he is our hope, that he is our joy, that he's the one that gives us life. I'm going to ask the men to come forward that are going to help to pass out the communion elements, and I'll pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you 
for the hope that you've given us in Jesus. And we pray that as we share in communion together that you would help us to renew our faith in you. God, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for this means of grace that reminds us boldly of the gospel, that you are our hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.